Welcome in to 2 for Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2 for Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast today on episode 200. Episode 200 of 2 for 1 Drafts. We are revisiting our 2018 NFL draft grades. Also going to regrade those draft classes from 2018. Should be a ton of fun. And at the back end of the podcast, an interview with Big Ten Coach of the Year, Indiana head coach Tom Allen. And when I say this, I mean it. More energy than me. This guy brings the absolute fire with every single statement. This dude, made for TV, made for coaching. An exciting interview at the back end of the podcast. Let's get it. in studio with my guy, Mike Renner, and I'm stoked. And it's not just because of the smelling salt, okay? Yeah. I have almost 50 Zoom one-on-one sessions with listeners of 2 Foreign Drafts that are eager to provide feedback as we march on our summer rebrand. We're going to approach the 2021 season with a level of energy, zeal, and sex appeal that no one's really ever seen Unknown before. to mankind. Unknown to mankind. Unknown to mankind. So I have those scheduled today. We also have an interview with Tom Allen, who I've been raving about it in the office, the proverbial office, a.k.a. Slack, all freaking week since I did it. It was awesome. He's a ton of fun. Then also going to do the revisiting of the draft grades. Before we do so, I was in Nashville this weekend for a bachelor party. Yeah. Bachelor party with one of the guys here at PFF. And... A lot of fun out there in Nashville. Such good food. The food in Nashville is absolutely insane. The weather, phenomenal. All these things. But a wild, wild story towards the back end here. So we were all chilling at the Airbnb, you know, drinking, having a good time. And one of the buddies there, one of the guys who's with us is like missing, MIA. We don't know where he's at. He's like, is he in the house? I don't know. And um, one of the other people there is like, oh, I think he's in the bathroom. He's you know, taking a shit or something. I don't know. Um, like 30 minutes, 45, hour goes by, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're like, what the hell is going on? What's going on with this guy? He comes back up. We're all like, we're all pretty faded at that point. Like, we look at him like, oh, man, where you been? He's like, I just got mugged. And we're like, what? Like, everyone's like not in a position to handle this news. <laughs> we're like, what? How did you? And then apparently he's like, he goes on the story that he went to go get cash out of an ATM for whatever reason, like, why are we getting cash? He's like, I can't, I, 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 it's just the best time of the night to get cash. It's like 1 a.m., like bad area in Nashville. Guy walks three miles to an ATM. Huh. Apparently, he goes into a store to use the ATM, and there's this guy there who says, hey, I'm Spider-Man. I'm here to protect you. Some random guy, and like, and like, just talking to him and saying, like, I got your back. This is not a good area of town. He's like, get your money out of the ATM. Kid takes out $400 out of the ATM. Meanwhile, Spider-Man has him trapped in his damn web. They leave the store. Spider-Man, a.k.a. the protector, pulls out a gun and says, buddy, it's time to hand it all over with another, another guy that's there. Takes all his money, takes his phone, takes all that stuff, and then he says... All right, get out of here. If you meet me on this corner, I'll give you your phone back. And gives him back his phone, and he walks his dumbass back, and we're like, dude, what the hell just happened? Why did you do that? Why did you just take out money? And he's like, oh, I just needed cash. He's like, what the fuck? You, you, you don't get it. Like, what, that's a that's a p- terrible, like, you've made a handful of bad Ooh. decisions, fella. Like, why did you do this? I think once Spider-Man got involved, he probably should have. Here's my take. You run away. Going to the ATM, it's fine. At the middle of the night, bad uh, decision. But it's, it's a bad decision, but let's go on with it. Okay. Bad decision, let's go on with it. You get to the ATM, Spider-Man shows up. 
take out 20. You know, like, Some I, guys I, start yeah, talking yeah, on ATM, yeah, you immediately get out of there. I think getting out of there is an, there an option. Dodging it entirely, not leaving the store. Like, hey, I'm not leaving the store with this guy or whatever. Yeah. Those are all options. But I think the number one thing I would have done, like, hey, if I came in here with the intent to take out 400, I'm going to take out 20. And he can rob me out there for my $20 if that's fine. And we get on with our lives. Taking out the full 400 with Spider-Man in your back pocket was just not a good idea. We talked to him about it. And then finally, the next morning at breakfast, we're like, why did you take out the $400? Like, we, we need to know. Because yeah. this doesn't make any sense. It was like 1 a.m. We're like leaving the next day. He was like trying to get, apparently he's trying to get strippers to the place. He's trying oh. to make some plays for the bachelor yeah. party. There which, I mean, he was being a good 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 guy, trying to hit a surprise on us. And meanwhile, Spider-Man had other plans. But that was a wild, a wild ending, too. And everyone's like drunk on the last night in Nashville. And everyone's like now in their fields. Like, dude, that sucks, man. Everyone's all so upset. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was an interesting I've never been any robbed anything think not Same. Wood, but, yeah yeah you know. I, I think there's a lot of like a, like i think one of the other guys is like oh you should have fought him i was like dude shut the hell up you're not fighting this guy with a gun in nashville <laughs> anyway that's the that's the start to the nashville story a, a wild one i did not get mugged everyone survived stole a stellar trip fantastic stuff but let's go ahead and get into these draft grades here yeah. what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna look at every division go by every team we're gonna read out the draft class specifically the top 100 picks and then any other notable picks from the draft class i also bring up but still focus on the top 100 picks and then go over the grades there starting with the green bay packers you're going to give the original grade and then you're going to give what how you'd grade it now now three years into the process yes. the original one we're going to start with is the green bay packers Jair Alexander drafted at number 18. Josh Jackson, cornerback of Iowa, a guy we really liked coming out of college, drafted at 45. They grabbed a linebacker out of Vanderbilt, Orrin Burks, at 88. And the only really big picks outside of that, they got Marcus Valdez-Scantling and Equinemia St. Brown outside the top 170. But after that, not a lot of key contributors. J.K. Scott, the punter, but still, focus on those top two picks is probably where this grade goes. Yeah, let's say back then we loved the draft. We loved Jair Alexander pick, loved that they got the next year's first rounder in the trade down from Marcus Davenport <clears throat> that the Saints made with the Saints. Um, and then, obviously, we were massive, massive fans of Josh Jackson in the second round. Eighth overall player on the PFF draft board that year. That one hasn't come to fruition. Now, Jair Alexander has turned into what maybe we thought Josh Jackson would be. Um, he's been a top-five cornerback in the NFL. Uh, but the Josh Jackson one, I still have hope. I still haven't given up entirely. I need to talk to Sam about that because Sam was Josh Jackson's biggest sort of a hype man coming out, see how he feels about Josh Jackson's potential to break out this upcoming season. And honestly, he hasn't played too bad when he's been on the football field. He's just had massive problems with penalties and straight up seeing the football field. Like mm -hmm. he has he only played 331 snaps this past year. Like as a rookie back in 2018, he played a lot, 721 snaps. He earned a 64.0 coverage grade. That's not bad for a rookie quarterback. He had 11 pass breakups that year. I don't know why he hasn't been able to see this field since, but he hasn't been able to see this field since. So still holding out hope there that we don't look like dumbasses on that one. But What's his best position? Because I think a lot of the discussion when he was coming out was like, does he play outside corner, slot, safety? Outside cornerback. I mean, I think he's outside cornerback, and I think the scheme that they switched to is going to be better for him uh, with Joe Barry there. So we still give it a good grade. I mean, getting a guy, getting a talent like Jair Alexander, I don't care when you get him. If you got him in the fifth round, second round, five, top five overall, that's going to get you a good grade because that's a guy who can make a massive impact and has made a mm -hmm. massive impact for your football team. So good grade. All right, let's now jump to the Chicago Bears. Chicago Bears in 2018 grabbed Roquan Smith, linebacker out of Georgia at 
with the number eight overall pick. Then James Daniels. This is another draft I think we really did like because we like Daniels yeah. and Smith. Daniels, the center out of Iowa, gets drafted at 39. They also grabbed Anthony Miller, wide receiver out of Memphis at 51. No other really big names after those top. Those are their three top 100 picks all drafted inside the first 51. Originally, draft grade was good. Where are you at with the Bears right now? Now, I think you just got to give it above average because, yes, Roquan's great. Gray off Is good, better, or worse than above average? Okay, yeah. So this was stupid. We got to explain the grading scale here because we went, we went. This year we did elite, good, above average, average, and below average, and that's like the hierarchy of them. And I like that. I no, I hate that. Okay, it's awful. Sorry. Like everyone else does. <laughs> everyone else does like letter grades. We should have done letter grades. We didn't do letter grades because we were scared of offending mm -hmm. the NFL teams that we were. Now we do letter grades. Though. Now we do letter grades. So, so screw keeping it on the same scale to try to have some level of comparison. So good is better than above average. Cool. And above average, so there's the four tier, five tiers. Above average is right in the middle. So it's more average. It's above average <laughs> because we did, we skewed positive to try to gotcha, gotcha. not offend our teams. But Roquan Smith, obviously, he was top 10 player on the PFF draft board, has lived up to maybe a slower start than we would have thought, but then has lived up to the hype coming out. But it's the James Daniels pick and the Anthony Miller pick, who's obviously on the shop, was on the – was being shopped this offseason. That's just kind of like they haven't quite lived up to the hype. James Daniels' past year obviously got hurt, but at the 65.8 overall grade when he was healthy, 69.9 back in 2019 in his last full season that we saw him. So it's been fine, but 39th overall, a fine guard. Yeah, it's like you, you, you would like to do better than that. I think the kind of saving grace here is that Bilal Nichols' defense tackle, fifth-round pick has actually been a contributor for him, better than your run-of-the-mill fifth rounder for the Bears. Looking at Ro Roquan Smith's grading profile, just turned 24 years old in April of this year, earned an 84.0 coverage grade this past season, easily a career high, and a 67.2 overall grade, another career high for him. Trajectory is pointing up, maybe not significantly. They're going to have to start to think about a contract extension, though, eventually. Are you in a position right now to extend Roquan Smith, or do you want to see it more, obviously, let the fifth-year option play out, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, let the fifth-year option play out with guys. Like, I, I think he's worth it. Like, I do think it maybe if you want to create some space by getting them early, sure, by all means. But I, I'm not a massive fan of two years out extending dudes. Plus, just in, I mean, just it, in general, I, in the NFL, where injuries are so huge. I, I also think, and, and this is a bit of a spicy take here, but I do think off-ball linebacker is getting – when you start to think about handing out that monster second contract, like we do running backs, it's one of those low-value positions on yeah. the defensive side of the ball where it's like, okay – are you going to pay Roquan Smith $15, $16 million a year? The mm -hmm. same number that you could pay you know, a top-flight edge rusher? I don't know. Like That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. We've seen blockbuster linebacker contracts go south pretty quickly. Quan Alexander and C.J. Mosley was that last – or even Joe Schobert, too, has not lived up to the billing. Like You have not seen linebackers that get paid fat really live up to the billing because it's it's a difficult position to play in the NFL. It's also being devalued as you know people look for more speed and, and play more defensive backs and those types of things. So it'll be interesting to see what – Chicago does with Roquan Smith. Next on the list here is the Minnesota Vikings. Let me pull up their draft class real quickly here. At number 30, Mike Hughes, who I believe they just traded for like a sixth or something. Yeah. It was a rough scene there. Mike Hughes out of UCF always had the size concerns, and I think that showed up in the NFL. At number two, uh, with the 62nd overall pick, they grabbed Brian O'Neill off the tackle out of Pittsburgh. Outside the top 100, Daniel Carlson has panned out. Not for them, but he's panned out. A former fifth-round pick kicker out of Auburn. And then Tyler Conklin still sees snaps for them. Jalen Holmes, I think, is, is a rotational player for them. But outside of that, it, it really, at the time, was given a below-average grade. Where are you at with it right now? I mean, it, it 
kicks up to average because Brian O'Neill has been a starting caliber tackle now. It hasn't been any great shakes in pass protection, 69.3 pass blocking grade this past year, but he was good in the run game. 83.7 run blocking grade. He, he is a – you got a starting caliber tackle at the end of the second round. That's a good pick. Like that, any day of the week, you will take that in the NFL, especially with, well, how bad the Vikings offensive line has been other places on that line. So he also that's coming out of a career high year, 78.0 in last year. That's a, you know, he's, he's treading up. That's the saving grace here for them. The Mike Hughes pick. Now, we didn't even like hate the Mike Hughes pick at the time. Some people did. Uh, they already had uh, some corners in tow. That was kind of, you know, Zimmer always has invested heavily in the cornerback position early on in drafts. Just never quite translated. He was more of a slot guy, never really worked well on the outside. Obviously, battled a ton of injuries and then gave up on him this past year trading him. So that's that's not what you want out of a first-round quarter. That's for sure. So this one, given an average, it's still not a great draft, though. Vikings have had better. Especially with Mike Hughes. I mean, the Mike Hughes thing is what drives us down. You could argue that's still below average. But the Brian O'Neill pick, like you said, saving grace, just turned 25 years old, an 83.7 yeah, run blocking grade this past year, easily a career high, and a 78.0 overall grade this past year on over a thousand snaps playing one of the most valuable positions along the offensive line at right tackle like that again getting that in the second round like you said is obviously plus value and we talk about this a ton like offensive linemen when you draft them you're looking for that year two year three year four jump like you need to see it and i think brian o'neill you saw it last year in a COVID season where things were maybe made more difficult so i do think that uh brian o'neill man that might be that might be a stud for them it might be a guy who's getting a contract extension here pretty and, soon. and they've had some They've taken athletes, and whether it was even going dating back to T.J. Yes. Clemmings, um, now Ezra Cleveland, Clemmings. Ezra Cleveland this past year. And when you got athletes that are, I mean, O'Neal doesn't fall in the second round with how athletic he was without being a developmental, you know, quote-unquote developmental guy. And so you're taking a swing for the fences, and the fact that they hit, when you do hit on a guy like that, it can be very valuable. And O'Neal, that's a hit. Ezra Cleveland, obviously early returns, but he looks like a hit as well. Detroit Lions. I think drafting athletes along the offensive line matters. Something that, you know, Dr. Eric Eager talks about a ton, and that what is translatable at offensive tackle? Tackle. It's, it's measurable. More so than, yeah, yeah, and yeah. more so than into your offensive line. But at tackle, you guys, you need foot speed, you need agility, the broad matters, all that stuff. Even when we talk to Tristan Wirtz, who I will say this, I'm talking to Tristan Wirtz later this week. Going to have him on the podcast again. He's a, That's going to be his third time on two-for-one drafts. Dude's Most an frequent. absolute friend of yeah. the pod. Absolute friend of the pod. But when we talked to him originally, right after that monster combine, he's like, was like, what drill do you think is most translatable to offensive line play? He said broad. broad. And he's like, yeah, well, the broad, your broad buddy was like the best we've ever <laughs> yeah. seen. So I guess that makes sense. Uh, Detroit Lions, Frank Ragnow, center out of Arkansas, drafted at 20, right ahead of Cincinnati Bengals oh, we'll get legend, Billy Price. I know Quinn is in the in the back room hitting his fist against the wall. Carry on Johnson, running back out of Auburn with the 43rd overall pick. Definitely didn't pan out there. And then Tracy Walker, safety out of Louisiana at 82. After that, the only notable pick really, Deshaun Hand. At 114, then Nick Bodden, fullback, San Diego State, 237. Tyrell Crosby's gotten some play, too. He's gotten... Has Tyrell Crosby gotten some play? Yes, Yeah, he played some this past year. He started at tackle. So, uh, this one... Originally average. was below average. Originally a below average grade. I give it an average now. Now, and it's because the below average grade... Now, we love drag now. We love the pick of the time. It's just you're attacking... Low value. Low value positions. Running back, center, safety. That was like the Bob Quinn MO. And the 2019 draft is what really kind of sealed his fate when he went tight end, two down linebacker, his first two picks. But that this was another draft where it's like, you hit on Ragnar. Mm -hmm. Did he move the needle for you offensively? 
Mm, not really. Like if you would have hit on, they passed obviously on, you know, Calvin Ridley, DJ Moore. You hit on those guys, I think they've actually moved the needle for you offensively if you were to go attack. Now they had, they were kind of in that dead zone of wide receivers where they had good wide receivers. They didn't have necessarily great wide receivers at the time. You had Kenny Galladay, you had Marvin Jones, um, which is like, that's a fine duo. It's not an elite duo. It's not going to lift you into that upper echelon where you can win games just based on your offense. So I think they kind of obviously, like the Ragnar pick, great, but you're still like, even the guys that are making an impact, it's not that big of an impact. Um, I will say Tyrell Crosby, the fact that he played well, he's a fifth rounder this past season is encouraging, but he may not, I don't know if he sees the field this year and obviously with them drafting Penesul. Tyrell Crosby, I didn't realize, did did play over 350 snaps this past year, 65.8 overall grade, formally drafted, what, 114th overall out of, or no, no, that's Deshaun Hand. I was looking at the wrong wrong player here. Fifth. Yeah. Tyrell Crosby, 64.2 overall grade, drafting in the fifth round at 153. Deshaun Hand, how, how much tape of Deshaun Hand have you watched since that? He had a really, really good rookie season. Great, I, be, I believe over 85.0 as a rookie and has not like had that level of impact since that season. So he's... His grade of that rookie season was from like two games. Yeah. He is a super explosive, linear dude. And he just like bull rushed. Oh, who was it that year? It, I think it was against one of the games was against Miami. And they were just like dog shit guards from back in the day. Um, but like if he's got the physical advantage on you, he can do something. But I think it kind of goes back to why he all, fell all the way to the fourth round. He just has got nothing else. He is a linear sort of defensive tackle. And I think you've seen that in the subsequent season since then. Before we jump to the NFC South here, we have to bring this up. Adam Schefter tweeting out now that Julio Jones has said he is out of there. He is not returning to Atlanta. Oh, he, shit. He does not want to go back. He wants to win are some of the quotes that's coming out from Julio Jones. So I do think that Julio Jones, I, I'd love to talk a little bit before we get to the NFC South. Obviously, we'll bring up the, the Falcons here. But what's a great, good landing spot for Julio Jones? Part of me wants to, him to go to Cincinnati. Well, Julio, Julio Jones is Cincinnati. No, Quinn's interested. He's not going to Cincinnati. No, I don't um, think he'd have. I mean, you'd, I mean put, you'd, you'd hinder some of the development of some of the other outside receivers. Yeah, too. I mean, you got three wide there. That's fine. Um, gosh, what is a good landing spot for him? Obviously, people are going to put the tea leaves, the Rodgers situation in Green Bay. Dude, if, if Green Bay makes a Julio play for Jones, Julio that keeps Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, that, that would obviously be a great landing spot. I think the <laughs> Patriots is a more realistic landing spot favorites right now space. according to betting markets are san francisco and las vegas Oof, i don't see how san francisco i don't even think that makes sense for them to make a play like they got dudes you, mm -hmm. you don't need another I mean, obviously it'd be fun but vegas i can see because that kind of fits their mo of just like that's screwed into a shiny team. shiny new object out there that we can go get move make the move just like whatever it can takes. you imagine what john gruden would do with julio jones that would be julio to the Bengals. let's go <laughs> chris chris collinsworth coming into the podcast saying julio the Bengals. i said julio the Bengals. why not julio the Bengals? i love it man let's go i'm in i'm in julio to the Bengals. we go julio to the Bengals. We, we 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 play him we have him split he, he plays 50 percent on the outside 50 percent in the slot Who's Tyler Boyd around four wide every time we're running some four wide we're gonna have to run some four wide zach i mean who do you want on the field drew sample Julio Jones. I, I'm torn. It's hard to Quinn, say. Quinn's, hard Quinn's to torn too. I Quinn is absolutely torn. Billy Price. Billy Price, Julio <laughs> Jones, or Drew Sample. It's up to you. It's up to you. No, I do think that good landing spots make sense. I mean, Green Bay, New England, favorites right now, San Francisco and Las Vegas. I don't think I don't I don't love either of those landing spots, but yeah, those are the favorites. True. But Cincinnati could be the fun one here. Hometown Cincinnati Bengals. Heard here first from Chris Collinsworth. All right, let's jump to the NFC South. New Orleans Saints. So then it was a below average grade. 
Now, they bump it up to average. Um, they, they moved heaven and earth for Marcus Davenport. That's right. And it's like, he's he's been good. Like He has been worthy of drafting 14th overall, I, I would say. Um, he's not, worth been worth two, he's yeah. not been worth two first-round picks. And they really, that was this was in the stretch of their monster drafts. This one's kind of a dud in the middle of it. Of just you got Mark Davenport, you got a good player. You did you gave up a lot to get him. After that, Traquan Smith, Rick Leonard, Boston Scott, Will Clapp. Like you didn't get anything else out of this draft, sadly. So, so like compared to other drafts around the NFL where you got nobody, I think that's where the below average ones are the ones that really didn't get a player. So you got someone, but this is still the Saints have Saints have been better than this. They've been better than this. Yeah, Marcus Davenport at 14th overall after trading multiple first-round picks to go get him. Traquan Smith, third-round pick at 91st overall. And then after that, like Rick Leonard has had some success in the NFL, drafted at 127. No. <laughs> Did he even make – I think he got cut. Yeah, one, yeah, right? yeah, that's true. Will Clapp kind of – yeah, this has been – this was not a great draft class. Where would you leave it at? I didn't even hear it. Average. Average. Sadly. Because of Davenport? Yeah. That, that one's borderline below average, though. Yeah, I, I think I would agree. I would agree. All right, let's now get to the Buccaneers here. Sorry. The Julio news. Chris Collins were jumping in the podcast randomly, kind of got me. All right. Uh, round one, pick 12, Vita Vea, defensive tackle, Washington. Then at 38, they grabbed Ronald Jones. Did not love the pick at the time, but they grabbed Ronald Jones at 38. Then MJ Stewart, a corner that they drafted at 53, kind of corner safety, whatever. He did not pan out. He's not with the team anymore. And then Carlson Davis at 63, monster pick by them. Yeah, Alex Kappa in the third round, off the tackle out of Humboldt State. Jordan Whitehead at 117. Even Justin Watson, Watson, wide receiver at 144, and then Jack Sitchie, linebacker, Wisconsin at 202. Oh, Sitchie couldn't stay healthy. But, Sitchie really couldn't. But it was good then. We gave it a good grade. Right now, it's still good. I, I mean, the Vita Vea one, we were like, nose tackle versus Derwin James, and Vita Vea has justified it. The next pick, Deron Payne, did not justify it, like mm -hmm. going over Derwin James. Now, it's, I'd still probably rather have Derwin James, but Vita Vea, the best nose tackle in the NFL right now. I, I don't think that's a debate. He is an impact player, run, pass, whatever. This is what you dream of when you draft a nose tackle 12th overall. It's Vita Vea. So that pick, massive hit. And this is kind of the tone-setting draft. Of, Emphasis yeah, they go, on massive. Emphasis, big time. This is the tone-setting draft where it's like you just went corner at 53, and you go corner again at 63. This is what started sort of the, we're going to invest in our secondary. And the Carlton Davis one hit, MJ Stewart one didn't. MJ Stewart was a slot cornerback coming out of North Carolina. We were fans of him. Never panned out in that defense. So, but Carlton Davis, the fact that you took the multiple swings, you didn't just rest on your laurels and say, "Oh, we got, we got MJ Stewart. We're fine at cornerback now." No, go back to the well. Carlton Davis, massive, massive role in their Super Bowl winning team this year. Like, if if he doesn't have that terrible game, like so, he finished with a sixty-five point seven overall grade this past year. But much of that, I'd say almost all of that, is because he just got corked by Tyreek Hill. For 236 yards and when he was had to play man coverage against Tyreek Hill during the regular season when he had to play man they played him in man yeah following Tyreek Hill all over the football field and it's like that was a that was a boneheaded decision not by Davis by goddamn uh DC whose names escaped me that I'm just terrible at names um Bucks DC okay okay the Bucks DC I can't I can't think, think of it either, either. <laughs> I can't think of it either um oh uh can't think of it either. 
I know what you're talking about. But either way, with Todd Carlton Bulls. Davis, Todd Bowles. Yeah, Todd Bowles. With Carlton Davis, 64.8 coverage grade this past year, over 1,100 snaps played. He's played over 900 snaps in each of the past two seasons. PFF is working through their rankings list right now, ranking you know the top players at every position. Where would you put Carlton Davis in the NFL right now? Is he a top 10, top 15 corner in the NFL? No, but you don't have to be a top 10, top 15 cornerback to be a super valuable mm-hmm. addition. Um, he's probably in the 25 range. 25 range. And that's fine. All right. Carolina Panthers next on the list here. Wide receiver DJ Moore drafted at 24th overall out of Maryland. And then you had Dante Jackson, cornerback out of LSU at 55. Rashawn Galden, defensive back out of Tennessee at 85. They also snagged Ian Thomas, tight end out of Stanford at 101. The fancy community Indiana. desperately waiting his from right. Indiana. Huh? It wasn't from Stanford. It's from Indiana. Well, this article says Stanford. I guess it was not Stanford. It was Indiana, and I apologize. But those are their first four picks. Everyone after that, not too any, not too many high-end contributors. Yeah, so we gave it an average then. I'd probably lean above average now. And that's because DJ Moore is good. Mm-hmm. DJ Moore is a stud, number one type of wide receiver. Developed as a route runner a ton. Obviously, super raw. Maryland, that offense, when he was coming out, it was a dog shit passing offense. I think he accounted for something like 40% of their passing yards his last season at Maryland. He's got that thick, almost running body-esque build. It was terrific after the catch, and that translated right away, and he's developed, like I said, even more as a route runner over the last couple of seasons. So hit there. Now, you can have the debate. Would you rather have him or Calvin Ridley? I don't think it really matters. you got a good-ass player, so I'm not going to I'd rather dwell. have Calvin Ridley. I'm not going to dwell too much on that decision that they made there, but – He's good. Dante Jackson, we didn't love Dante Jackson coming out, but that's where we would have drafted him. Uh, he went 55th overall. He was, he's been okay. You know, I, I think he's been not necessarily like. I thought he was going to be a lot better. Yeah. Like, I, I think with his speed, with his explosiveness coming out, he ran what, 4 3. Um, Can jump out of the jaw. He was going to be, thought he could be a guy who's better at the next level than he was in college just really has not come to fruition with him there. So really this this above average grade, I know he's a fine starter. Like he's a starting cornerback in the NFL. You're just not getting super high-level play out of him. So this grade above average because DJ Moore is DJ Moore. He's also one of three, I think, um, cornerbacks in the NFL that sees significant reps on the outside with 30-inch arms or smaller. He's got some short arms there sticking out there on the outside. The other thing I'll mention here, too, is that with DJ Moore, I'd confidently take Calvin Ridley over DJ Moore if given the opportunity, but only 24 years old. And I think what we've seen, you know, we talk a lot about what translates from college to the NFL. And what we've seen translate significantly since we've been grading college football in 2014 and tracking these things is yards after the catch and force-based tackle ability. Like you see that translate from these guys coming out of power five, to power five conferences and entering the NFL with high end yak ability, whether that's percentage of yards gained after the catch, force missed tackles. You know, I, I like to look at average depth of reception versus yards after the catch, those types of things. DJ Moore was exactly that at Maryland. And you're seeing that in the NFL. And I think part of that is his frame. And part of that is just having that natural looseness to break tackles and make plays after the catch. So we've seen that definitely translate in his NFL career. All right, moving forward here. He also got t- t- thrown a ton of, you know, underneath stuff. I think his average step to target was pretty low this past season, or actually up 13.7. I think they maybe fed more of that to Robbie, but still getting a ton of yards after the catch. Yeah, he had in a his role <clears throat> this past year, for sure. Um, all right, moving to, oh, sorry, I just lost my Falcons. Falcons, moving to the Atlanta Falcons. Give me your revaluation of the Atlanta Falcons. They got Calvin Ridley at 26. Isaiah, Isaiah Oliver, quarterback out of Colorado at 58. Deidre Sanat, DI out of USF at 90. They also got Cheeto Smith, 
running back out of Southern Miss at 126. And they actually hit on some of these six-rounders here. Russell Gage, mm-hmm. wide receiver at LSU at 194. And Foyer Oluwakin, linebacker out of Yale at 200. So some, some contributors across the board there. Yeah, I, I think at the time we gave it an, a good grade. We liked the. We thought the Oliver pick was someone who could develop. Now he's been kind of. He's been rough. It's been lean years for him. He was 36 on the draft board. Goes 58th. So we liked the value there with that. Has not again another player who hasn't obviously lived up to that. But the Ridley one, slam dunk, great pick. Um, to get any contributors in the sixth, and now Foye Lukens. He's not an exceptional linebacker by any means, but he's a starting linebacker in the NFL. Great athlete, obviously coming out of Yale. He was safety at Yale before going to the Falcons where he played linebacker. So, where he plays linebacker. So, I think good then, I'd say above average now. would be how I'd say for the Falcons because Ridley at 26, one of the better picks in the draft. Where would you place Ridley among receivers in the NFL? We recently had our wide receiver rankings. I think he cracked our top 32. I'd be interested to know how high you put him up there. I hope he cracks the fucking top 32, my guy. Fair, Uh, fair, fair, fair. fair. Let's see. I'll tell you where we rank them. I'd say somewhere around the low 20s for Calvin Ridley. There's... Because there's a lot of there's a lot of dudes out there. Right we had now, him at least. eleven. That's too high for me. Too high. Come up with eleven right now. I'd rather take, probably. Really? Okay. Don't don't do don't it. Do don't it. come up yeah, with a top bad. Content, I kind of like the eleven. They did have him ahead of Mari Cooper, which is a farce. Anthony yes, Trash. Not better than Mark Anthony Cooper. Trash put this article together, and his Mari Cooper slander. He's ahead of DK Metcalf on this list, which he's, he's not. I'd rat, rather have DK Metcalf. I'd rather have DK Metcalf. What about Justin Jefferson? And he's like Ridley's twenty six already. Yeah. Even though he's in year four. Uh, I'd rather have Justin Jefferson. There's yeah, there's a lot of guys. You'd rather have Justin Jefferson than Calvin Ridley? Yeah. Interesting. Very Ridley, interesting. exceptional route runner. Not great through contact. And like, he's got to be. Got to be open. Yeah, he's got yeah, to be open. I think that's a good take. Pass. It's not terrific ball skills. He's just, but like as good a route runner as you can be. And not, not much after the catch either. Like, he's just like that guy that gets open now. A lot of guys get open also in the NFL, but also bring some more to the table. So that's why. Whatever, yeah, man. You're a Calvin Ridley hater. Put that on a social graph. You're awesome. a Calvin Ridley hater. Just kidding. Just kidding. All He's right. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Number two. Washington football team uh, right here. Number uh, First round pick at 13, Deron Payne, defensive tackle out of Alabama at number uh, – Second round pick, 59, Darius Geis. I thought Darius Geis was going to be good. Off-field t- and injuries turned him into an – the opposite of good. Uh, third round pick at 74. They grabbed Gerard Christian at uh, Louisville off the tackle. Troy Apke, safety out of Penn State at 109. Tim Settle, a guy that we really liked at 163. Did not really like Tim Settle. You didn't really like Tim Settle? No. I liked Tim Settle at 153. That's good about 163. And after that, Sean Dion Hamilton, linebacker out of Alabama. Greg Stroman, cornerback out of Virginia Tech in the seventh round. And Trey Quinn, wide receiver out of SMU. I'm trying to figure out how we gave this a good grade coming out. Is that what we, are you looking at the article from back then? I am. We did give it a good grade. We gave it a good grade. That's just like that has to be a misprint. We had Deron <laughs> Payne thirty seventh on the PFF draft board that year, and we still and we still gave it we a good gave grade. It a good grade. Wow. Like, and we and we had Darius guys forty fifth. Like we were high on him compared to the running back class, but it's still a running back. That's um, that's kind of atrocious. Yeah, I don't know what. I think that that just has to be a misprint because maybe it's all because of the Tim Settle pick. We had <laughs> because then we were, we had Jerron Christian their seventy fourth pick. We had him one forty five overall. He's been that good. Uh, so this is a below average draft. I, I mean, Jerron Payne's been he has not been an impact nose tackle. Like he has been a guy who can start in the NFL. But when you draft nose tackle thirteenth overall, they better look like fucking Viavea to justify. They better look like Dexter Lawrence. Yeah, this yeah. past season, career year, Jerron Payne seventy point six overall grade. 74.8 run grade. He's fine. 
He is not the guy you draft 13th overall. He's not a guy you passed for pass Derwin James on again. We keep going back to him. And Everyone passed on Derwin James. Derwin James fell at 17th overall. So a lot of teams passed on him, and you don't pass on Derwin James for a Jerron Payne. That's for damn sure. So this was, like I said, that has to be, in my opinion, a misprint of the grade we gave them initially because I'm just like reading off the big board ranks. These maybe guys Washington's brass reached out and said, what the hell? We had to bump it up to a <laughs> Yeah, maybe we were terrified of... Uh, What's his face? Dan Snyder giving us pulling the contract. Maybe that out. was it. All right. Uh, New York but Giants. Below average. It's, that's yeah. straight up a below average draft. I agree. Uh, New York Giants. Uh, number two overall, Saquon Barkley, obviously running back at Penn State. Number two, uh, second round pick at 34, Will Hernandez. We really liked Will Hernandez coming out of UTEP. Number three overall pick, 34 overall pick, Will Hernandez. Then Lorenzo Carter, Carter edge defender out of Georgia at 66. BJ Hill, the big boy defensive tackle out of NC State at 69. And then Kyle Lalletta, quarterback out of Richmond at 108. And then RJ McIntosh, defensive tackle out of Miami at 139. This is an interesting one to evaluate because obviously the Saquon Barkley conversation has been had ad nauseum. It was an above average draft originally, according to PFF.com. Where would you put this draft now? There's no way it's anything better than average, right? Yeah, yeah. It's I call it an average draft. Above average, again, I think we were being kind there at the time because we hated the Saquon Barkley pick. Did not yeah. make that. No bones about that, obviously. But I think it's because we did love the Will Hernandez pick. We thought he was. So in, in tier offensive line rankings that year went Quentin Nelson won obviously. Frank Rag now too, and then Will Hernandez was the third-ranked interior offensive lineman on our board, ahead of even Connor Williams. Oh, wow. So, and Connor Williams has been better than Will Hernandez in the NFL. Hernandez has been just, now, not a lot of people have been good on the Giants offensive line. It's not been great. Um, <laughs> but uh, he passed blocking grades of 73.1, 72.5 his first two years before getting injured this past season. So not disastrous, but that's not what you'd draft 30 what fourth overall that's just not and then probably the best pick here of all of these has been bj hill like bj hill's a solid contributor bj hill's you know not much difference between bj hill from an impact perspective deron Payne than deron Payne. straight up bj hill might be better than deron Payne. wow grades wise says you know put that on a quote graphic BJ more hill people at, knew who bj hill was bj hill had a 75.9 grade back in 2019 before obviously i think he got hurt this past season or uh i know he just 75 point yeah, 75.9 back in 2019. So, and then 73.4 this past year. So, BJ Hill's a real contributor on the interior. That's a, it's a nice little cherry on top for a 69th overall pick in the third round there. So, not the worst draft. I'd give it an average grade now. What was your opinion of the Lorenzo Carter pick at the time? I know a lot of people liked Lorenzo Carter, the edge defender out of Georgia, coming out then. Um, that's 123rd on the PFF draft board. So, we just didn't, he was an athlete, did not produce. Uh, it didn't even come close really to producing much at the college level. Hasn't been great. 61.0 pass rushing grade this past year. That was a career high for him. So Yeah. Also didn't play a ton, only played weeks one through five. But, but yeah. Renzo Carter not living up maybe to that 66th overall selection. All right, before we move to America's team, we gotta talk about America's life insurance. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like when should I start talking about or thinking about life insurance? Well, however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Dallas Cowboys, baby, 2018 NFL Draft. We have Dallas Cowboys, Leighton Van Der Esch at 19, linebacker out of Boise State. 
They grabbed Connor Williams, tackle guard convert out of Texas at 50. Michael Gallup, one of PFF's guys, specifically Sam Monson's guy. Sam was a big Michael Gallup guy coming out of Colorado State in 2018. And then after that, some notable picks. Cedric Wilson, the wide receiver to Boise State. They also picked Bo Scarrow, the running back out of Alabama at 236. Uh, Dalton Schultz has contributed well for them at 137, fourth-round pick uh, there. Your opinion of the Dallas Cowboys draft at the time and then where you would change it now? It got an elite grade from us. Um, obviously, like I said, we loved the Gallup pick, loved the Connor Williams pick. He was 18th on the PFF draft board that year. Leighton Vanderesh. The dude's been injuries have just derailed his career. Is it, it injuries? Is it all injuries? Because some people think he's just not good anymore. I mean, some of that's because of the injury. Like it was like what neck injury that it, there's. He was very good as a rookie. Like that was one of the better rookie seasons we've seen from a linebacker. And you saw just the physical, like eighty-five point four overall grade as a rookie, eighty-two point zero coverage grade, and then injury strike. And he's just and he straight up, yeah, he hasn't been good when he has been on the football field, but also like. Those kind of go hand in hand a lot of the time. So 50.6 grade this past year. It's tough to say what, like the talent obviously was there. Like you can't, you don't fake what he did as a rookie. That's not just like luck into that shit, but uh, obviously the results speak for themselves. You'd rather have someone else with that 19th overall pick right now. But so I, so before you jump from there, so Leighton Van Der Esch, like you said, this past year, 50.6 overall grade on just 460 snaps. The year prior, 58.4 as a rookie, over 85.0. But also him and Jalen Smith yeah, have both had you no know, underwhelming seasons of late. Do you think they're, that's connected at all? Is it injuries for Leighton Van Der Esch and Jalen Smith, just like the new system kind of fucking him up? What, what do you think? Yeah, it's is, a combination of both. Uh, I thought Jalen Smith kind of had to play in that system, though, like he had to be in that simplistic, just because that knee, like he can't really change directions like he used to with having the nerve damage in his knee after that gruesome injury that was taylor decker uh cheap shot him but your thoughts on michael gallup now entering what year four of his career galston's stud like he's one of the better pure outside like vertical wide receivers in the nfl now i i think we kind of low-key nailed the wide receiver group that year <laughs> i can read you our rankings for the wide Do receivers it. now one guy we effed up on but the rest i thought we hit this out of the park so calvin ridley was wide receiver one james washington was wide receiver two dj moore wide receiver three Cortland sutton and then michael gallup that was how we had the top five in that one and now we were way lower on christian kirk who went above michael gallup we were way lower on gosh who else here i, I guess anthony miller we were lower on than michael gallup who obviously like gallup's way out producing we're late, way lower on dante pettis he was 100th on our pff board he went above michael gallup so i thought we'd Compared to the NFL, like then, and even James Washington has had some flashes. James Washington's had some flashes. <laughs> He's been not worth where he was drafted, sadly. But uh, the rest of those, I thought we got. Connor Williams, last guy I'll bring up on the Dallas Cowboys. So just turned 24 years old this month, actually, 12 days ago. Six foot five, 300 pounder, guy that has had a slow start, but again was super young. Like he played over 800 snaps as a rookie, 59.1 overall grade. Then another 700 snaps in his sophomore campaign in 2019, 60.9 overall grade. And then this past year, again, where you look for that year two, year three turn. 70.8 overall grade, a 71.3 run blocking grade, really filling in at guard there. I think this is the year two where you see Connor Williams maybe even approach that 75, 80 range. Oh, what, we just ranked him top 25 guard in the NFL? Yep. So Connor Williams trending up. All right, we are moving off the Cowboys and going to the 
Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles 2018 NFL draft started with a second round pick, 49th overall, Dallas Goddard, tight end, South Dakota State. We had him ranked fifth on PFF's tight end rankings, which I think more so mm-hmm. speaks to how many average tight ends there are in the NFL. I recently was doing some research into yards per route run versus target rate. And like I think there was a 0.92 correlation coefficient to yards per route run versus target rate because it's just how often you're targeted at that position is going to lead to production. There's only really three guys that elevate above what is expected of their target rate. It's Darren Waller, George Kittle, and Travis Kelsey. Everyone after that is kind of just a guy, including Dallas Goddard, who, yes, is our fifth-ranked tight end in the NFL, but still not in that tier of game-changing tight ends. Um, But it's just interesting to look at the tight end position. It's a valuable position when utilized effectively, but it's such a just a guy position in the NFL right now. There aren't a lot of really, really talented tight ends. It's a it's a very short person. It's a it's a very small talent pool in terms of the elite there. Then that's, that's why that, they signed, didn't have. That's him. why you try take a chance on a guy like Tim Tebow. Yeah, exactly. But no, man, <laughs> let's not get into the Tim Tebow discourse, please. All right, but that was their only top 100 pick. After that, they did grab Avante Maddox, cornerback out of Pittsburgh, uh, at 125. Josh Sweat at 130, edge defender out of Florida State, and then two tackles, Matt Pryor out of TCU at 206, and then the project out of Australia, Jordan Mailata at 233. Yeah, so this is always tough when it's you had one top 100 pick. Yeah. And it was 49 overall. So, like, how do you judge a draft when I think this was the one that this was the post-Carson Wentz trade that you mm-hmm. gave up a lot for that. And so we gave up a lot of picks for that, and that's why you're only so to limited draft capital. But we liked what they got with the limited draft capital, and we still do. So we got a good grade then, and I'd still give it a good grade. Like you said, Dallas Goddard's top five tight end in the NFL, or is one of the better tight ends in the NFL. You got Jordan Mailata, one of the steals of the draft, played well, very well this past season. Uh, in his first year of actually like seeing the football field, I believe he earned a great over 70 at tackle filling in there. And then Josh Sweat's been kind of coming on of late 73.6 pass rushing grade in 2020, obviously in limited snaps, but to have one top hundred pick and to get three contributors, that's a dub. That's a good draft. Very, very good draft. I think I, it's tough. So what, what's your opinion of uh, Dallas Goddard versus Travis Kelsey? I'm mean, not Travis Kelsey, uh, Zach Ertz. Oh, I mean, dude, Ertz is just like he smoked at this point. Like yeah. that dude's the the explosiveness, the speed. They, you know, that was never his game, but it is not there, not there. All right, moving to the Seattle Seahawks. This one's going to be rough, fellas. This one's going to be rough. Rashad Penny, San Diego State legend. I'll say wow. that again. San Diego State legend, a guy that I interviewed multiple times down there after the Battle of the Beaches. San Diego State drafted at 27th overall. I believe Sam Monson had a piece that Rashad Penny is worth a first-round pick back in 2018 where our minds may be a little bit clouded on the running back position. But still, Rashad Penny at 27. Uh, then Rasheem Green, edge defender at USC at 79. Will Disley, probably the most productive player out of this group. Uh, no, Trey Flowers, too. They got Trey Flowers. Um, so Will Disley, tight end out of Washington, drafted at 120. Shaquem Griffin, edge defender out of UCF at 141. Trey Flowers, the defensive back out of Oklahoma State at 146. Their punter, Michael Dixon, that was another good selection. That's, 149. That's their best selection. Probably is their best selection. But your, your thoughts on this draft class overall? It stuck. At the time, we guess we gave it an average grade at the time. Maybe being kind. Maybe that's leaning on Sam saying, Shaw Penny's worth first round pick. And now he actually has been like, when called upon, dude's averaged 5.2 yards per carry for his career. He's not been bad, but it's also like, that's why you don't draft running back first round. They get hurt and they're replaceable. We saw him get fucking outplayed by uh, Chris Carson over the course of his career. So this is just, this is a rough one. This is a, a rough one in a stretch of rough ones for the Seahawks. Obviously a below average grade. Um, even the guys that like have played, like Trey Flowers has gotten to see the field. It's not been good. So 
I, I the one pick we liked at the time, where I think why we give this an average grade, Jamarco Jones. I'm surprised he never he was much higher on the PFF draft board than the fifth round where he went. Ohio State offensive tackle just has not been able to see the field, not been able to. I think he got hurt early on in his career, and then now it's seen some time at guard, but 51.8 pass blocking grade, 132 pass blocking snaps this past year at guard wasn't exceptional. So we'll see. Tough, tough scene, man. A lot of a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans not super excited about you know the the, the results of the Rashad Penny machine green picks to yeah. start here. Remember, Will Disley, Michael Dixon, Trey Flowers probably the better picks there. All right, moving to the Los Angeles Rams, who I don't think have a first round pick until you're having your first kid, right? Or when um, you're gonna get married by then? Will you I'll be, married? be married? By then. Will you be married Before by then? then? Oh my gosh, maybe. Well, who is she? All right, uh, number third. Uh, third. Hopefully, I haven't met her yet. <laughs> Third round pick, number 89, Joseph Noteboom, off to tackle out of TCU, drafted the Rams at three or at 89. And then after that, they did not have another top 100 pick. And did they make the most of it? Not necessarily. Micah Kaiser has had some snaps for them. John Franklin Myers has actually played really well for them. Brian Allen, center out of Michigan State. He's not played well for them. John Franklin Myers played well for the Jets. Yeah, played well for the Jets, excuse me. But still, this has been this is a little bit of a rough draft class. Okunaya Okoronko, I thought was going to be better than where he was drafted at 160, but still not a lot of legit contributors for the Los Angeles Rams in 2018. Yeah, it, it just Note Boom's developed to okay guard, I'd say. Or I I just uh the rest is nothing. Like the Brian Allen was not good at center. John Franklin Myers, like if he would have stayed there, could have been good, but obviously they let him go to the to the Jets. Mike Kaiser's been one of the lowest grade linebackers in the NFL when he's seen time. Ogmanayo Kronkwu, not done much. It's just kind of a tough draft. And, and it's going to be when you don't have a pick until 89 overall. Moving to the Arizona Cardinals at number one, they grabbed Josh Rosen, quarterback at UCLA at 10, Christian Kirk at 47, Mason Cole, center out of Michigan at 97. Probably their best pick of this class. Chase Edmonds, running back at a Fordham at 134. And then after that, Christian Campbell, corner out of Penn State, and then Corey Cunningham off the tackle out of Cincinnati at 254. Swings and misses. I would say misses. Kirk has played, but still, swings and misses with Rosen at 10 and Kirk at 47. Kirk's, he hasn't been good though. Like he's yeah. played, but there's the, the best thing you could say about this draft is they still got a second rounder back for Josh Rosen. That's the best thing you could say about this draft. Christian Kirk this past year, 48 catches. He didn't break a single tackle. I don't know how it's possible. Like, I don't know what happened to him because his freshman year at Texas A&M, like he was a dynamic yak guy and he's not anymore. Like straight up has not been. Mason Cole was a disaster as a starting center. Um, obviously they gave up heaven and earth to get, rid of him this past year for uh gabe jackson not gabe jackson the other the center that rodney hudson excuse me but just a tough draft all around l's left and right but let's face the cardinals gm he's bulletproof man why is he bulletproof i don't get it i think he's swung and missed a decent amount here uh steve kime yeah i i couldn't tell you that 25th i think he's living off that 2015 team that went what 14 2 they still lost in the NFC Championship game. But like the the impact guys on that team, Patrick Peterson, Chandler Jones. Who was Chandler Jones? Patrick Peterson, Carson Palmer. They were not drafted. Like he didn't dra- he's, yeah. his draft history has been just not good. Suspect. Sus. 
San Francisco 49ers at number nine, grab Mike McGlinchey off the tackle at Notre Dame, who started his NFL career really in a good place, but has not like expanded on that, has not taken levels mm-hmm. above that his rookie season. At number 44, wide receiver Dante Pettis, who obviously did not pan out in San Francisco, is playing elsewhere. And Fred Warner at 70, easily their best pick oh, yeah. of the draft at 70. Fred Warner, linebacker at BYU. After that, their other top 100 pick was Tarvarius Moore, safety out of Southern Miss. Beyond that, they did pick up, pick up DJ Reed, cornerback out of Kansas State. Kansas State at 142, and then Richie James has played for them a little bit, number 240, seventh-round pick out of MTSU. Your thoughts overall at the time on this 49ers draft class and maybe now where it's We at. like DJ Reed, and he's actually played well, but for Seattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. They, they let him walk to there. So he's been solid, but it's the, it's the Fred Warner pick. Now, not a lot of people, I won't say, saw that coming. We did not, especially. We were not super high on Fred Warner coming out. He was the OG overhang linebacker the jeremiah Koromoa we talked about that he didn't play linebacker he did not play between the tackles for byu he was guarding slot receivers so it's a tough eval but in the 49er system he has been top five linebacker in the nfl pretty easily uh, over the course of his career so it was above average then you got yourself a quality right tackle and an elite linebacker that is a good draft so even though you swing and miss the dante pettis pick couldn't even see the field this is still a very solid draft for the 49ers. We are on to the AFC North, which is perfect time to tell you that PFF is partnered partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L. The stock market for sports that allows you to trade trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts. And NFL free agency is still going on. So whoever lands at top of the market player will be sure to see their top team's stock rise use promo code pff and deposit ten dollars at symbol.app slash pff to earn a free pff annual subscription that's promo code pff with a ten dollar deposit at symbol.app slash pff to earn a free annual subscription onto the afc north starting with the pittsburgh steelers gave it an average grade to start here but now we are teetering towards below average. Terrell Edmonds, number 28, kind of the shock of the first round. There, safety out of Virginia Tech. At number two, the pick we really liked, James Washington, wide receiver out of Oklahoma State at 60. Then Mason Rudolph, quarterback out of Oklahoma State at 76. Chukwoma Okorafor, off of the tackle out of Western Michigan, slated to start for them this year, the off the tackle there. And then after that, not a ton of notable players. They did pick up Jalen Samuels, a running back tight end hybrid that I kind of liked at 165, but still a limited impact player. Below average draft now, is that what you're saying? Yes. I mean, good Lord. Could it, even be it, a poor draft. Could <clears throat> you even call it a poor draft? Good. This was, Edmonds was the still, to this day, I believe, the all-time biggest first-round reach that we've seen in the, on, according to the PFF draft board. He was 196 overall, uh, 128th in that draft. So that was wild to see. We gave it an average grade because we obviously liked James Washington. We thought he was good. And then when the fact that James Washington turns out not to be good or not to be, you know, the guy that we had hoped he'd be, this is a bad draft. The Chukum or Korfor was another one where that was a massive, massive reach. He did not grade out well for us. Uh, he was 160 on the PFF draft board where they took him 92nd overall. He did not grade out well for us. In college, has not in the NFL. He started this past year, 57.4 overall grade. Not great. And that was in a fairly easy scheme to pass check for because Ben Roethlisberger had the quickest time to throw in the NFL. So 
just not a good draft. Yeah. <laughs> like so Steelers tough. fans know. Steelers fans knew it at the and, time. And we've had the conversation yeah. about the Pittsburgh Steelers like a lot about like, hey, this is what happens when you when you don't hit on draft picks and your roster isn't built up through these rookie contracts. You get to a point where you lose pieces and the roster overall starts to degrade and you don't have these these younger and, talents and that's coming where in. They're at. Yeah, that's kind of where they're at, sadly. That is where they're at. All right. This is a draft that we were like immediately in love with. Kind of shocked the world a little bit. Baker Mayfield, quarterback, Oklahoma, was the number one player on PFS draft board. He goes to the Browns. This is the Cleveland Browns draft class here in 2018 at number one. Then they grab Denzel Ward, cornerback at Ohio State. We love both those picks, first and fourth overall. After that, Austin Corbett, uh, Nevada guard-center combo there. And then Nick Chubb, running back out of Georgia at 35. After that, Antonio Callaway has had some run, picked at 105. Jannard Avery as well. But really, those first four picks is where they made their money. Mayfield, Ward, Corbett, and Chubb. Where are you at with this draft class now? Yeah, I, I think it's it was good then. We rated it good. It's still a good draft class. Uh, Mayfield, whatever your thoughts on Baker Mayfield, he's a starting caliber quarterback in the NFL and has shown high-level flashes at times. So, like, year four, obviously, and year five will mean a lot to how what he ends up getting contract-wise and how people view him, but he's shown that he was worthy of the number one overall pick. Now, obviously, guys in that draft class have been better at times, but... I, I don't think he, he's not a bust by any means for a number one overall draft pick. Denzel Ward, one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. He's probably a borderline top 10 corner. That's what you want when you draft a guy fourth overall. Chubb, obviously, in my opinion, he's the best pure running back in the NFL. At 35 overall, it, it was a pretty loaded running back class where you had a guy go a full round higher than him, who, like I said, I think Chubb's the better pure straight runner of the football than a guy like Squan Barkley. Corbett pick was the one at the time where I was like, damn. I liked. I thought we liked Austin Corbett, but we had him 65th overall, and I was like, felt like we were higher on him the most. Mm-hmm. You after him 33rd. That one just was a head scratcher, and obviously he doesn't even play for the Browns anymore. Uh, I think they swapped him. Who they swapped him for? But they swapped him to the Rams. He plays for the Rams now. Callaway was one of my favorite picks. That dude was uber talented. He just was not off field. Still followed him, and I think they cut him at some point. But he could have been. He had that sick catch against the Saints. Was that with Tyrod back in his rookie year? to tie the game that was sick but uh kind of i'd still say good draft class those hitting on three of those top four picks the way they did i think is solid i do think that i mean we had this conversation with a handful of players from 2018 but what's what's your opinion on the baker mayfield looming extension i know they exercised his fifth year option do you think they play out this season and next season before they make a decision yeah i think people i would go the Dak prescott route i agree where i go because that doesn't kill you whereas if you go the Carson Wentz route, you can get killed. Like that can backfire, high backfire potential. It's just like, yeah, maybe you're overpaying a little bit, but then like at this point, you know, Dak Prescott's a dude. Whereas Carson Wentz with his injury history, like they tried to buy it before they really knew, you know, tried to, and then they got burned and they got super burned. They're really screwed as a franchise now because of it. Whereas worst thing that could have happened with Dak Prescott is uh, one more tag and he walks you get the Kirk Cousins walk but that's not that's not nearly as bad for your franchise as getting crippled with 30 million dollars in dead money yeah I I think a lot of people looked at the Dallas Cowboys and said man they screwed up they lost out man Dak you know they could have had him for so much cheaper I would so much rather be paying a little bit more for more of something that feels more like a short commodity seeing more of a sample size for Dak Prescott than to be the teams that go early on a quarterback we've had this conversation a ton being early on Derek Carr early on Jimmy G 
early on Carson Wentz, early on Jared Goff. When you are early on that quarterback, you put yourself in a situation where if he doesn't pan out, you're so hamstrung from a cap space perspective. You're battling. You're trading two future first-round picks to move up from, what, San Francisco was at 12 to 3 to go get a quarterback of the future. Like, that's the problem you could get in if you do pay that quarterback too early. So I do think they'd be smart to let it play out, man. Like, don't be afraid to let this thing play out and see what happens before you lock in significant money. I think the same should be said, and this is a hot take, but the same should be said about Lamar Jackson. Like, why not see a larger sample size? I know he's a former league MVP, but since that season, yeah. we need to see a little bit more. Let's see a little bit more. And let, well, well, here's the thing. You get four more years. Like, you have four more years of control of that guy. Lamar Jackson, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. Yeah. Four more years before shit could feasibly hit the fan and then you just walk. You have to make a play. So it's like, why not wait? Why not wait and see? Because it's for those four years, it'll be cheaper than anything, like any of that extension yeah obviously you could buy some cap space in those years but then you're paying for it down the road so i i just think there's you got time mm -hmm. you don't need to be first to market on these extensions all right let's talk about the uh, lamar jackson draft hayden hurst at 25 tight end of south carolina pick that not a lot of people were big fans of but then they grab lamar jackson after trading up to get to 32 and grab lamar jackson obviously former league mvp a big slam dunk for the baltimore ravens and after that too Orlando Brown Jr. at 83 and Mark Andrews at 86. Two really, really solid high-end contributors for them. Those are That's really good business, really good value for the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Kenny Young has had success. He was drafted at 122 in the fourth rounder here in bits. But after that, I think that's where they made their money, though. Hayden Hurst obviously was the number one pick. But after that, Lamar Jackson, OBJ, and Mark Andrews. Those three picks hitting pretty hard there. Yeah, this was... This might be the best draft of anyone now. Mark Andrews, like, still a tight end, but he's, he's the top five tight end in the NFL. Lamar Jackson, obviously, get that guy at 32. Massive pick. And even the Hayden Hurst one, he got a second rounder in return from after a couple of years. Like, I don't know how the hell they swung a second rounder from Atlanta. What a disastrous trade that was from Atlanta. Atlanta might not even get a second rounder back for Julio Jones. I hope they do. I hope they get more than what they give for Hayden Hurst to get Julio Jones. But Orlando Brown, they get a first rounder back in return and multiple years of good tackle play. Even Deshaun Elliott's one of the better. They got Sean Elliott in the sixth round. Starting safety for them, fairly solid contributor, 69.6 grade this past year. Like, this is a lot of hits, a lot of talent. This was it's just, one, like I said, one of the best drafts just in terms of, like, hit rate, quality, impact players. They got it all. They, um, in hindsight, obviously, the Hayden Hurst pick and miss, but still, I think they did, like you said, I mean, they hit where they need to hit. Now, this is what we've been waiting for, the Cincinnati Bengals draft class, where after Frank, Nagna, Frank Ragnow was selected, they pigeonholed himself in the center. They still grabbed Billy Price, center out of Ohio State. I got that dude. We not have as high as 21 on our draft board, but they draft him at 21. But after that, some hits here. Jesse Bates at 54, safety out of Wake Forest, and Sam Hubbard, who's played a ton for them, coming out of Ohio State, the edge defender at 77. Then Malik Jefferson at 78. That was their four top 100 picks. Beyond that, Darius Phillips has played well for them. Obviously, on Tate still competing for a job there, drafted at 253. But really, it's been, you know, I think Sam Hubbard and Jesse Bates that have contributed the most. Yeah, Billy Price one keeps us at an average grade, I'd say. I don't know, although I don't know. I think you can maybe make a case for above average because Jason Bates is that good. 55th, 54th overall to get a top three safety in the NFL is that's still a good draft. Not a lot of people come away with that much. So maybe above average, but the Billy Price pick was so bad. I, I mean, even when he's seen the football field, been a disaster. Obviously, he's not doesn't even see the football field anymore. He's been usurped in the starting lineup. Um, that's the one where it's just like we said at the time, he was 69th on the PFF draft board. Don't know why he didn't. Hubbard has seen the field. Uh, he hasn't been particularly impactful for the Bengals. So 
Yeah, I'll say it's an average draft because you had a lot of draft capital. You had four picks in the top 78, and you came away with one quality safety. Could even be below average, man. I think it could even nah, be below average. No, just look at how many of these drafts have nobody. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Attack. I mean, this next one is interesting. Safety, so. <laughs> Tennessee Titans, we're moving to the AFC South. Rashawn Evans drafted linebacker at Alabama, drafted at 22. Then Harold Landry, a pick we really liked. Edge Fender out of Boston College at 41. And then that, those are only two top 50 picks, let alone top 100. And then outside the top 150, they grabbed Dane Cruikshank, d- defensive back at Arizona, and then Luke Falk, quarterback out of Washington State. Evans and Landry at the time, I didn't hate. This was a good draft at the time according to pff's draft rates originally but where are you putting this now it's an average draft now i don't think landry's been bad by any means like he has over the past two years over 110 pressures over the past two years he just like doesn't come off the field he just hasn't been particularly effective on a snap snap basis a lot of that is because he's played over 1100 snaps each last two years like that's an absurd amount for anyone not a lot of guys will grade out well when they never come off the football field. So a 61.1 pass rushing grade, a lot of that's, like I said, because he's basically asked to brush, play every single snap for them. Drops into coverage a lot, too, in that defense. So he's been he's been fine. The, the pick there is the Rashawn Evans one. I, I think they want back. He has not been an impact type of linebacker that you draft in the first round. And we said not a super valuable position. What he brought to the table was he was a strong blitzer. Uh, and he's been fine in that regard, but not really overly utilized as such in that Tennessee defense. Really good he's against the run, though. I mean, great. he's been good against the run. He's never been a coverage backer, though, is the thing. So, All right. Average. Indianapolis Colts are next on the list here. Quint Nelson, guard out of Notre Dame at six. Obviously, that was the one where everyone's like, you're, you're getting a 15-year starter, yeah. gold jacket, number you know. six. And after that... They, they hit on some more. I mean, this is this was a really good draft, the Indianapolis Colts. Darius Leonard at 36, linebacker out of South Carolina State. Braden Smith, guard out of Auburn, that they've moved to tackle. He's and on. so much that he's been one of the more competent right mm-hmm. tackles in the NFL since making that move. Kamoko Ture, edge defender out of Rutgers, has flashed at times, but he's had injuries as well. Tyquan Lewis, edge out of Ohio State. Those are their four top 100 picks. And then even after that, Naheem Hines at 104 has been a contributor for them as well. So an Indianapolis Colts draft class that at the time, we gave it an average would you lean above average at this point yeah i think it's an elite draft class nice and now we liked again this was more of a positional value argument love nelson coming out like Braden smith coming out but we're like you got two guards and then the darius leonard pick was the one which is like we didn't didn't love darius leonard we didn't know we didn't have south carolina state all 22 to be honest so <laughs> that one was a tough one to even really evaluate properly didn't love kamoka Drake, taekwon lewis those ones have kind of been duds and i think they've like continued to search for their replacements and obviously this past draft drafted two defensive ends to try to you know take their job so those guys have been kind of washes but the the biggest thing here i think is why was the process of going back and getting quentin nelson like making that trade to get all that draft capital when the team right in front of you giants obviously no one people always say the giants aren't going to trade with the jets whatever across town but it's like the Giants, if they were going to draft Saquon Barkley, you're going to draft a running back, you're going to draft a guard, trade back and do it. If, if you really want to do, if you really want to get one of those guys that's a low value position, you can get an absolute haul. And that's what the Colts did from the Jets because the Jets wanted a quarterback. And so great process there from Chris Ballard, which we say a lot on this show. 
Yeah, I mean, they have done a really, I mean, it's a big reason why, even with Carson Wentz, you know, as their quarterback, who's obviously an uncertainty after a really bad season, is still considered a top 15 team in the NFL. I think they're 11 on PFF's power rankings because yeah. of how well they've drafted. They have so many talented players still on rookie contracts. I think they've done a really good job, too. Eberflu specifically, putting those those players in a position to succeed, a guy that has put together a defense where you know people can actually have success, and, the, and they definitely have. Moving to the Texans, and I think this is going to be better than their previous draft, <laughs> um, but Texans... Oh, Peter's freezing up. Not ideal. We gave the Texans an average grade. There you go. So they didn't have a pick until 68 overall. This is another one. This was impacted by the Deshaun Watson trade. They gave up draft capital for it. They didn't have a pick until 68, but they did have three third rounders. Those ended up being Justin Reed, uh, easily their biggest hit in that draft. Probably is their biggest hit since Deshaun Watson, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. As far as draft pick goes, the safety out of Stanford. Then Martinez Rankin. The offense tackle at Mississippi State and Jordan Aikens tight end out of UCF. We did not like the Rankin pick. The Rankin pick has not come to fruition. He was 159th in the PFF draft board. He has not come good since then. Reed, though, still keeps us at an average grade, I'd say. Maybe that's harsh because they didn't really have a ton of draft capital and they still got a quality starting safety, but it's not a good draft class still. Like you're just looking at like year on year. Did I bring in talent? You really didn't bring in much talent in this draft class. This class as well. We're going to move to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Taven Bryan at 29, defensive tackle out of Florida. And then at 61, they did grab DJ Chark, which mm-hmm. is obviously a hit for them. He's played well, went healthy. And then Ronnie Harrison, now playing for the Cleveland Browns. But another that was their three, yeah. not, their, their three top 100 picks after that. Will Richardson off the tackle out of NC State at 129. And no other real legitimate contributors. Leon Jacobs has played a little bit for them. But still, uh, that Taven Bryan pick, I think, is a big reason why this draft grade will not look pretty. Now three years removed. Yeah, Taven Bryan was a project defensive tackle. Super athletic dude, but just has not has not shown the sort of improvement that you'd like. Now, 75.5 grade back in 2019, actually, but then this past year only 59.0. He, there still could be something there. He's still only 25, but this is an average draft. DJ Chark, obviously the saving grace for this draft, has been a legit deep threat, but... That's, again, this is kind of why they were the number one overall pick this year. That's like, those aren't, obviously with Chark being injured, those aren't impact players otherwise. They traded away Rodney Harrison. I'm sure this is going to be one of the bigger draft grade increases just based off Josh Allen having so much success. But the Buffalo Bills, they grab Josh Allen at seven, then Tremaine Edmonds, linebacker, Virginia Tech at 16, and then Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle out of Stanford at 96. Wyatt Teller then at 166, obviously playing really well for the Browns now, but still. Good, good identifying talent there. What was your take on this draft? Class? I was going to say, it was an average draft at the time just because we didn't... Honestly, we didn't like any of the other picks. Obviously, our our idea of Josh, or our opinion of Josh Allen, well-known at this point, and what we thought of him as a prospect coming out. That's why this is an elite draft, because you got a guy like that. You can give a shit about the other picks, and honestly, they're not they're not a lot of impact guys. Now, they're playing meaningful snaps. The Trey Main Edmonds has not been a good linebacker. The one pick we did love at the time... And he still is good, but he's not playing for them. It's Wyatt Teller. He was 53rd on the PFF draft board that year. Wow. Goes 166. Obviously, they give up on him, trade him away to the Browns, and now he's top five guard in the NFL, top 10 guard in the NFL. He's been exceptional. So, uh, sadly, they would like that. I think they'd like a do-over on that trade. They probably would. Wyatt Teller, man. What, what, what was the biggest thing about Wyatt Teller coming out? Why do you think he fell as far as he did? And why I don't know. Happen- he had like weird off-field issues where he actually got benched his last year at Virginia Tech. Now, he was awesome, but he would get benched. Um, never really. I don't know why. Like, I that didn't come out into the public. But 
um, that probably impacted why he falls all the way to 166. But the tape's awesome. I loved him. Miami Dolphins, Mika Fitzpatrick drafted 11 overall, safety out of Alabama, safety cornerback, and then 42, Mike Kosicki, tight end Penn State at 42. Jerome Baker, linebacker of Ohio State, drafted at 73. Those were their three top 100 picks in that draft. After that, some notables, you know, Durham Smythe still plays for this team. Kalen Balazs, running back of Arizona State, plays for another team. But there, Jason Sanders, Sanders has been good, not for the Dolphins, or no, for the Dolphins, but still. Uh, not not an ideal draft after their top 100 picks. Mika Fitzpatrick was obviously a hit, but they trade him away. Um Tough yeah, scene. that one's tough. Like, good, but it's you got you, you trade away Mick Fitzpatrick, trade away the guy that would make this good. So it was good at the time because we love Mick Fitzpatrick coming out. I believe he was top ten player on the PFF draft board that year. But then yeah, he was tenth on the PFF draft board. They get him at eleven. Been a fantastic safety, a top five safety in the NFL. But he doesn't, like I said, doesn't play a few. Gasecki's been kind of a one trick receiving option. Who's that trick's been? It's not among the upper echelon. Freak athlete, but he is not does not play kind of up to that testing numbers on the football field. So I guess just calling this an average draft, like you got a few contributors, but I don't think like for having the 11th overall pick, you could have got more. I do think that, what what do you think ultimately went wrong? Because you write about the Minka Fitzpatrick stuff, you know, where he was being told to like add weight to play slot, and then add, like drop weight to play safety, different mm-hmm. things like that. Like, do you think that they mishandled that situation, or how, how? What's your opinion of Minka Fitzpatrick as a player now? Oh, I mean, he's exceptional. He's a great fit for that Steelers defense, and I, I don't, I don't think he was a bad. I don't think he's a bad fit for any defense because I think he's super versatile. Mm-hmm. But I do think if it, if he wanted out, if he didn't like what he was being asked to do, well, shit. I mean, that's kind of the risk you run when you invest defense heavy in drafts is that defensive scheme changes a lot more than offensive scheme. A lot of good wide receivers are good wide receivers no matter who the hell is your offense coordinator. All good offensive linemen are good offensive linemen in any offense. Uh, Sometimes a good safety is not a good safety if you're asking him to do something that is not his bread and butter. It's a very good take. All right, New England Patriots, number 23, grab Isaiah Wynn, off the tackle out of Georgia, 31, Sony Michelle, running back out of Georgia. That was when, after that happened, that was you're going to disagree this, with Bill Belichick? You think Bill Belichick doesn't know the running back that, value? But then also, like, he plays all right in the playoffs, and they're like, that's one of them Super Bowl. It's like, mm, that didn't win them Super Bowl. Yeah. And then Duke Dawson. I really like Duke Dawson coming out of Florida. What was your opinion of Dawson coming out? I can't remember watching him, to be honest. Really? Slot cornerback, Florida, 56 overall. And after that, that was their three top 100 picks. Analyst, though. Huh? This is before I was the lead draft analyst. Of course. Though. Isaiah Wynn, Sony Michelle, and Duke Dawson, their three top 100 picks. And then they pick up Juwan Bentley, a guy that's played well for them when healthy. He hasn't played a ton, though, is a thing. And 143 um, after that, not a, not a lot of contributors here for the New England Patriots. Yeah, so I, average grade because you look at Isaiah Wynn's solid left tackle, but then Sony Michelle and Duke Dawson, your other two picks in the top first two rounds, you could have done so much better with picks 31 and 56 in that year's draft. You just go back and look at the guys selected, even like Sony Michelle versus Nick Chubb, who were similarly ranged. Nick Chubb goes off the board four picks later. Duke Dawson versus Carlton Davis comes off the board a handful of picks later. Like that, that is not just kind of why the Pats were where they were. They, they had a string of drafts like this. Moving now to the single biggest Jets. faller, single biggest faller draft. So in this terms is the of biggest our fall? opinion versus Sam Darnold at threes in New York Jets. Uh, and then you have number 72, Nathan Shepard, defensive tackle out of Fort Hayes State. 107, Chris, Chris Herndon, 
the fourth tight end in Miami. We like the Perry Nickerson pick, cornerback yep. at Tulane. We like a ton of their day three. Fuller picks. Runzu Fatukasi, defensive tackle out of Connecticut, who's played actually, you know, we, like, been... we love Fuller Runs Fatukasi coming out. And he's and, actually but, been solid. Where, so you originally gave this an elite grade. Where is it now? Uh, below average, below, below average. average. Now, Fatukasi is kind of a player. Like, he's a solid nose tackle. That's why they were willing to give up, you know, Steve McClendon. He's a good nose tackle. Nathan Shepard was the one where I love Nathan Shepard's tape. Now, it was Fort Hayes State. He was not a, obviously, big-time college, uh, high-level college football player, but when he went to the, I believe it was at the Senior Bowl, really good there, just super strong dude. I don't know what happened this past season because he went from 65.8 grade as a rookie, 71.3 in year two, 50.7 this past, just a different player, not an impact guy. I thought he was going to take that next step. And his development really hasn't. So that one's still a TBD, but burning up the three overall pick and giving up as much as they did on Sam Darnold just has to. Yeah, because you have to factor in the trade-up as well. Yeah, they gave up all their second-rounders for him. So, All right, we are on to the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs, originally draft grade for them. You gave them a below average, and still today, a below average draft class for the Kansas City Chiefs. They started with Breland Speaks at 46 overall, edge defender out of Ole Miss, then Derek Nottie, really investing in the defensive line at 75, and then at 100, Dorian O'Daniel, linebacker out of Clemson. They do not have, I mean, Derek Nottie is probably the best player of this class, right? And still, like a low impact position, below average grade, probably justified. Yeah. Uh, their first three picks were all lower on than where they went. Breland Speaks was. One of the biggest reaches in that entire draft. He was like 200 for us. I just didn't see it. Like it was, and he wasn't that high end of an athlete where it's like this guy's a, you know, he's got the traits to project. No. And that's, he hasn't been good in the NFL either. So I don't, I don't know what that one was all about. Pick 46. Now, Nadi is a solid run stuffing DT, whatever. That's where you draft a run stuffing DT. No, no debate there. But it's still, if that's all you got in this draft, which that's all they got in this draft, uh, that's got to be a below average draft. Moving to the Las Vegas Raiders, Colt Miller at 15, uh, P.J. Hall, defensive tackle to Sam Houston State at 57, Brandon Parker off the tackle with the first pick of the third round at 65, Arden Key, edge defender at LSU at 87, notable outside the top 100 was Maurice Hurst at 140, a pick we really liked. I think he was top five on PFS draft board. A guy, Best pick a guy who's a good player. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's good. <laughs> and just got cut by them. Yeah, and now he, he got cut, Arden Key got cut, P.J. Hall has been cut, Brandon Parker I think is battling for a roster spot. We originally gave this an average. I think you're moving it up to an above average because, again, Colt Miller, that's a hit. You hit an offensive tackle like that. Yep. They already gave him an extension. It's a high-value position, a guy that's you know panned out well and developed well over the past two years. Plus, it's like Maurice Hurst was a solid pass rushing interior dude, like a solid sub-package pass rusher on the interior. Now, the fact that they cut him, that is kind of irregardless of did they get a good player. They got a good player in the draft. So mm -hmm. to get a Colton Miller, quality starting tackle, and a guy like Maurice Hurst, it's a good draft. But... It's just don't cut Maurice Harris. It's kind of yeah. the thing. Just the PJ Hall picks, the PJ Hall and Brandon Parker picks are also those bad. Are tough. I, I mean, both those picks were reaches at the time. Arden Key was thought to be a value at 87, but even he didn't pan out. He was another guy. He was the off field and just, he didn't, he came, showed up to the combine 231 pounds, Arden Key. Yeah. I don't know what you're thinking. Like you're in a pass rusher. Uh, it, something happened with him over the course of LSU because his freshman year at LSU was awesome for him to be as bad as he was then after that. Sad. It's a sad. It's a sad, sad story. Honestly. Yep. All right. Los Angeles Chargers. Derwin James at seventeen, the pick that everyone wanted, who was drafting inside the first fifteen picks, and then Uchenna Unwosu, edge defender out of USC at forty-eight. Justin Jones, defensive tackle out of NC State, 
at 84. Uh, that was their three top 100 picks. After that, not a lot of high-end contributors. Derwin James being the biggest hit here, but man, can't stay healthy. Yeah. Now that's kind of irregardless of the what they got. Like draft decision-wise, they knocked it out. The yeah, absolutely. They're like that was they got an awesome, awesome safety. Now we didn't really like any of the other picks, and truthfully, none of them really come good. So they've kind of. Justin Jackson, probably their best one, 251st overall running back, and he's been obviously a backup running back. So called it above average then, and we kind of just pegged it. We're like, Derwin James is going to be a stud. Rest of the draft class, eh. That's why we're not going higher on it, and that's kind of how it's come to fruition. Only a few more draft classes here, and then we're done with the uh, regrading the 2018 NFL draft. Only one? Well, oh, yeah, you're right. Broncos, last one here. Denver Broncos, and this is getting one upgraded. of the best for last. Getting upgraded yeah. to an elite grade. Number five, they grabbed Bradley Chubb, edge defender at NC State. Number forty, Cortland Sutton, wide receiver, SMU. Number third, uh, third round pick at seventy-one, Royce Freeman, running back out of Oregon. Number ninety-nine, Isaac Yadam, cornerback out of Boston College. Then after that, not a lot of notable top one hundred picks. Obviously, Deshaun Hamilton still kicking it around. Josie Jewell, linebacker out of Iowa. ACL, sad. Towards ACL, yeah. and then. Um, I really like Troy Fumagalli coming out of Wisconsin, but still, 156 has not been the guy for them. Still, hitting on Chubb, hitting on Sutton, that's where you're going to really go. To get your 1-2 to be Bradley Chubb and Corlin Sutton, a number one wide receiver, a number one edge type guy. That's all you need. It's a win. Yeah, you had a dub of a draft class. Now, Chubb has not been Miles Garrett, but that's fine. Like, you draft a super high floor edge rusher, 79.4 pass rushing grade this past year, and that's after a torn ACL in his second season. So... That's an elite. That's an elite draft when you get two guys like that. Even if, you know, third round and beyond, you didn't hit on those picks. That doesn't really matter compared to those one and two. Yep, that's gonna do it, man. Let's go ahead and now jump to the interview with Indiana coach Tom Allen. Now joining the Two Four One Drafts podcast is former Indiana, not former, sorry, current Indiana coach Tom Allen, first Big Ten coach of the year since Bill Ma Bill Mallory. Did it in 1987 from Indiana there. Also responsible for the monster culture change at IU. The man behind LEO, which I'm sure we'll talk about a ton on this one. You're also from Indiana, Tom. So it's great to see what you're doing in Indiana with IU. Really great to have you on, man. Well, awesome. Appreciate you having me as well. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's been amazing. It's been awesome to be able to do this in my home state and, and uh, pretty special. Absolutely, man. Where I'd like to start is probably one of the more special moments of the Indiana season this past year. Obviously, Michael Penix Jr. diving in the corner, hitting the pylon just barely with the tip against Penn State to secure that win. Can you walk me through the play call, the emotions, all through the sideline process? Because there was such a surge of energy after it was initially called a touchdown, the review process. I'd love to hear from your perspective just the energy on the sideline and what all went into that awesome play. Well, you know, you, you often think about that, you know, but uh, what I always am drawn to is what happened before that even. You know, there was when when we, it was the fourth and 21, and uh, we turned the ball over on downs, a minute 47 to go in the game, and, you know, ESPN does their win probability in each moment there at the end, and they literally said, I was shown this after the fact, that once we, you know, had that incomplete pass there on fourth down, they got the ball, uh, with that much time left, and and uh, their win probability was 99.9%, and ours was 0.1. And to think that that all then led up to what you just <laughs> mentioned was what happened in those minute 40 seconds was was unbelievable, you know. And uh, so when we got to that moment, when we once we got to that that overtime, and they scored first, you know, so I obviously knew what we knew what we had to do. We knew we had to score a touchdown, and I just knew right then we're going to go for two. 
you know, I didn't tell the guys right away, but once we got into that, I think maybe the second down of that, I was like, guys, you just know we're going to get the two-point play ready. We're going because it just, you, you just, you don't get to that point and come back the way that we did. Cause we led the whole game, but then at the end, obviously we let the lead slip away and, and then they, uh, you know, really had a chance to finish it out. And, and uh, you know, we were in that position. So I'm like, you know what? Hey, we got the number seven ranked team in the country with one play from the three yard line with ball in the hands of our best player. I like our chances. You know, we called uh, the name of the route was railroad, you know, which is a crossing route for us and a meshing route type concept. And, and he had his progression to go through and, but as you, when you watch that replay, you know, he pulled it, he pulled it pretty quick and uh, he scored the previous touchdown to get us in that situation. And so uh, just a really an unbelievably athletic play. You know, he's obviously left-handed and to reach with his right hand with the ball in his right hand for the pylon and, and to be able to keep the ball, he's pretty much lateral to the ground at one point, you know, and to reach out and have the ball cross the pot, you know, the, the, the plane of the goal line before he t- you know, gets to the pylon is just a phenomenally athletic play. And, and uh, but you know what? You just you know it's about players making plays, and you put the ball in the hands of your best players. And like you said, he has read progression. But uh, you know, I think he knew he was he, he wanted to run that thing in from the beginning. You know, and uh, he trusted himself, and he made a phenomenal play. I mean, it's obviously debated, but once the ruling on the field was what it was, I knew it was probably going to be hard to overturn that. And there's no doubt it was very close. I mean, you could you could debate it, and all it probably depends on what fan base you're from, to whether you thought he got in or not. But once the ruling on the field was a touchdown. You knew that was in our favor, but even then, though, you have that delay. I mean, and you just you just don't know. And so I'm sitting there talking to our guys, and I'm you know I'm just thinking, and you're praying, and just tell you different things going through your head. But but you know what? I just told our guys, hey, no matter no matter what happens, we're gonna stay together. And that's why I kept telling us, no matter what happens, we're gonna stay together because this is game one. You know, this is the first game of the season, so obviously it's gonna be a great win if you win. It's gonna be a devastating loss if you don't. But it's only one game. And so I was trying to prepare our guys for that. But, man, at the same time, when they when they gave the ruling, man, it was just – and it was pretty efficient. He got in there and he, he put the hands up, and, man, we just we just took off running. <laughs> we just took off running, just grabbing somebody to hug. And, and uh, obviously, you know, then you go over and shake their coach's <clears throat> hand because that's obviously – we've been on both sides of that. You know, it's a tough situation. But, but man, just what an unbelievable moment for our program. And it just – it encapsulates so much of what we've been building for. It's and just – it just it just kind of represented so many awesome, amazing things because we've been so close for so long, and you just you just got to finish eventually, and you got to experience that 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 finishing moment and finding ways to win games like that. So uh, it's going to go down as one of the most uh, historic plays in the history of our program for sure. I love what you said there because I really do think it encapsulated so much of what you were trying to do or still trying to do in the end in terms of changing this culture and bringing this team forward. How much did the energy in the locker room and energy practice change after that game? Because I'm sure so much more players buying in to what you're bringing and what you're trying to do at Indiana. There's no question. You know, even even that little sequence at the end, I have it on a three by five card here in my office and I look at it often and <laughs> we've talked about it to our team already. I've, I've been obviously got speaking and different Zoom, different things I've done. I've, I've referenced that, that moment, you know, because we're, it's been so much about belief, about creating that belief. Well, you know what? You can talk about it all you want, but eventually you got to do it. And and so now we have a tangible thing that we've done that even though it looked dire at, at a certain point there at the end, that we just kept believing. You just, you know, there was time left on the clock. And you always say that so much. And you just got to finish and you got to be able to, as long as there's time left, you got to believe. And, and, and we did that. And, and even though the, the odds were stacked against us, but, but I just think, like you said, it just, it just embodies so many things, but you have to live it. You have to experience it. 
And now that we have, it just gave us so much more momentum and power and, and strength moving forward. And you just saw the locker room scene afterwards. And I mean, it was just electric, you know, is the best way to describe it. Just so much emotion, so much passion that gone into it and, and all that release there and just being able to, with guys that came here and believed before we did it. And that whole locker room was full of a team that had come to this university with that, that buy-in and that belief when they didn't have to, you know, they could have gone other places, you know, a guy like Michael Penix could have gone other places. And, and a lot of guys, Watt Fillier, same, you know, guy had a, he's the one that caught the touchdown pass, you know, and, <laughs> and just all the different guys that played such a huge role. And even the guys off the field that, that don't even get to play, man, they're celebrating like they, they scored the winning touchdown, you know, because that's what happens when you got a culture and a team that believes in each other and they don't make it about themselves, you know? So all that was just embodied in that moment, and it definitely gave us a lot of momentum and confidence moving forward. I think the rest of the season was indicative of that. I think that word you used is fantastic, electric. And I think you, Tom, are, are such a source of that electricity. You've brought an energy to Indiana that everyone loves. Every, you see on social media, you see in these post-game you know, you know, talks that you have with them at halftime and those types of things. Where does that you know, electricity originate? Because obviously you've been brought a huge culture change. You bring yeah. this energy every single day. You see player interviews with people from Indiana or players from Indiana talk about your energy every single day. How important is that? How important is it for you to be the center of it all? Well, it's, you know, everything's, you know, rise and falls off of leadership. You know, I believe that leadership is influence. And in and, and the position I'm in, I have an opportunity to influence the players that are around us and the coaches that are around us and everybody that's part of this program. And so, you know, I have to to lead that way. And, and to me, it starts with, you know, you got to take care of yourself. And I, I literally, I, I run a lot. I train. I, I got to be in good shape to, <laughs> to coach with the energy I coach. With. I mean, that's being serious. I really do. And and uh, because I, I can't, you know, be all bent over. And and uh, not being able to get my breath if I'm not if I'm going to leave. So so I just think it's a daily example of having good habits myself and and trying to do a great job of of, of understanding that. And then but I think the biggest part of it is when you know your purpose and when you know your purpose. And I and I believe I was created to be a football coach. I just think that's just what I was put on this earth to do. And and it took me some time to figure that all out. You know, as a young person, like it always does. But but when when you know what that purpose is, it creates passion, and and it creates energy. And I don't have to give myself a pep talk when I wake up every day. I, I love what I do. I feel so blessed to be the head coach of this program. I feel so blessed to be a football coach, to be able to impact lives for something way bigger than just winning a football game. Because that's where the purpose comes in. That's where LEO comes in. It's, it's bigger than just football. And mm -hmm. I think our players, they know that. And when you love them more as an individual person than as a football player, and they know you're trying to help them become the man they were created to be, it creates an unbelievable amount of buy-in because it's not just about teaching the guy to tackle and catch touchdowns and throw touchdowns and all that stuff. It's stuff that has value way bigger than that, way more important than that. And I think that's really the source of my energy because I feel like I'm doing something that is going to give these guys something way bigger than just something that happens between, you know, the lines on a football field. And that, that to me is the energy, the passion, and it's also a choice. And I tell our guys, Hey, it's, I have to choose every day to come with that energy. I don't always feel like it, you know, no one <laughs> always feels that way, but you got to, it's a mindset and, and we control those things and those things we can control. We, we have the, the power to be able to have a positive mindset every single day, regardless of what's going on around us.
Let's talk more about LEO. I know a lot of that originated from your dad, who was the head coach of your high school football team. And I know he has a big influence on how you are as a coach in those things. He didn't necessarily invent it, but I know he embodied that as a coach. LEO, love each other. How much of the players bought into that? And why do you continue to make that a priority? I know you spoke to a lot of it there, but love each other is something that you rarely see. You know, you see college football teams with turnover chains and these different types of things. You have a different approach to what your mantra is. I'd love for you to speak more about leo and its origination yeah you know to me it's it's over time you know i i took it from scripture john 15 12 uh it's a command that we're given to, to love love each other you know it's that simple you know and and what i learned though, as a coach that you know i was never part of a team that did great things that didn't love each other you know and and that's where it just became obvious to me that that was a common denominator of all the great teams i've been a part of you know, even as a player, you know, and, and so and, and seeing, like I said, that the impact that my dad had and even though he didn't use that phrase, but but it was relational and it, and it, it was always about people and he took time for people and he cared about people. And, and that's what I want to do. And that's what I want this program to be about, because I believe, you know, football is the greatest team sport. I mean, what other sport has 130 guys, you know, just <laughs> players alone, you know, that come together to do something special and, and to be able to get all those guys to have a role, accept the role and, and buy into that role and to do with everything that they have is not easy to do, you know? And so, but, but to me, when you make it about yourself, then it all comes a, a abrupt halt. You know, when you make it about the people around you, which is LEO to me, and, and you care more about the guy beside you and helping him become great and special and, 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 and be able to experience great things together. And, and, and that's what we've talked so much about. And this is what we do for each other and with each other. That's LEO to me. And I want guys that don't care to get credit because it's not about them. And that's easy to say, hard to live out. But what I think we've done is we've shown them that when you do that and when the team puts you know, the individual interests aside and they do what's best for the team and they come together as a team and play well together, guess what happens? Individuals get recognized. And we've had a record number of players making all Big Ten and all Americans, all different things that happen because the team has had success together. And so that's the beauty of, you know, you know what, I, what I feel like when you do the opposite of that, you put yourself first, you try to make plays for yourself, then usually you don't do near as well and the team doesn't do as well. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just the beauty of a team concept. And that's really what it comes down to, you know, and people say it different ways. And, and that's why, but I don't think people understood what, what it really meant in the beginning. And there, therefore the, the criticism of it and, you know, it's soft and it's this, or it's that, that's not football. That's not hard nosed. And, and, and I'm as hard nosed as they come, you know, and as intense as they come, but also, man, I want these players to know that I love them way more as a person than what they can do for me on the football field as a football player. But you got to prove that to them. You mm -hmm. can't just talk about that. And it's it's diving into their lives. It's helping them become, you know, a, a special individual and helping them accomplish the goals that they have for themselves as an individual and what they want to do outside of football. And then I think the football side of it takes care of itself. That intensity, that passion, that energy, it's shown up a bit, maybe even on the negative side. I know ESPN has that graphic or one of the broadcast partners has that graphic where celebrating, it, you've had injuries, a black eye, two lost front teeth, some pulled yeah. muscles, a gash in the face. What happened there? Talk to me about some of these celebrations. How are we getting this rowdy, coach? Well, you know, sometimes I'm, I, uh, you know, I forget how old I am or, or, or <laughs> my body's not like it used to be, you know, and you don't respond quite the same way. And sometimes I've dove into situations physically that probably wasn't a really good decision to make, you know, and I've lost some front teeth and got some cuts and got some stitches and, and had a black eye, you know, but a lot of it, honestly, people ask me, what do you think? I said, well, I really wasn't thinking, you know, so <laughs> that's probably the problem. But, but at the same time, it was just a reaction of the emotion and just out of sure joy of a player making a play, 
you know, like the, the one with the Michigan game was when when that interception happened and, and, and we call him monster and Devon Matthews is his name, number one. And, and when he got that pick, I knew the game was over and I knew that was the, the final dagger, you know, in, in the game. And so I just took off running to go jump <laughs> on it because man, what an unbelievable play, you know, to finish out. And once again, that's a team that we hadn't beaten in so many years and been, been close and all these different things. And so all that kind of comes out in those moments. And, but it's always about the players and, you know, I'm just trying to, you know, just, you know, it's just reaction, you know, it's definitely, mm-hmm. trust me, it's never scripted. You know, if I have a chance to think about it, I probably wouldn't have done any of it, you know, so, but, but, uh, you know, I, but I do, like I said, I try to train and I lift weights, I do pull-ups, I run to stay in shape so I can coach the way I want to coach and have the energy I want to have the energy with and, and uh, be able to, to be a leader in that regard, because I do, I think they take on your personality as a coach. I've always felt that way. And uh, so that's not going to change. So that intensity, that fire, that passion, that's just who I am. I want to get back to some of the players we talked about. We talked about Michael Penix Jr., obviously star quarterback in Indiana, one of the better quarterbacks we've seen over the, in the Big Ten over the past five, ten years. Honestly, there's some ha- some analysts here at PFF that hold Michael Penix Jr. in high regard, even for more than just the right-handed extension against the pylon. What are your expectations for Penix Jr. in 2021, and just how good do you think he could be in the Big Ten? Well, there's no question. Uh, he's a really special player. He's a special person. Um, he, he's quiet, you know, in his leadership, but it's uh, very uh, intentional and purposeful. And he just exudes a confidence that uh, he doesn't have to say a whole lot. When he steps in that huddle, uh, he creates that belief. And they know, you know, and he proved it against Penn State, you know, if there's time left on the clock and we got the ball, we got a chance. And so, you know, for me, though, it's just, uh, you know, I, when you talk about the football side, what makes him special uh, is his processing. I mean, he can read coverages and uh, he understands the game. And his, his mind works extremely efficiently on the field. And, and that's a big issue. And that's something that you don't always know about a, a quarterback. And it's, it's kept a lot of quarterbacks from being great, even though they may have great arms and they throw a beautiful ball at seven on seven when there's nobody coming at them and they're not disguising coverages. But when, when you know, the pressure comes and the disguise happens post-snap or they do a great job disguising it pre-snap or whatever, he's able to really uh, do a tremendous job of knowing where the ball is supposed to be. And the ball, then, then the natural talent takes over, the quick release, the accuracy, the arm strength, all those things kind of work together to allow him to be able to get the ball in the hands of the, the guys that, that uh, can make those plays. And then obviously the athleticism, the ability to run and extend plays. He has that. He's long and athletic and all those different things. So it all kind of comes together. But it really, to me, it starts with his ability to process and, and read coverages and distribute the football efficiently. Another talented player on the offensive side of the ball, Ty Freifogel, one of the better contested catch receivers over the past two years, really sure-handed receiver. Penix is right-hand man in a lot of ways. Do you have high expectations for him as well? No question. You know, and you said it, I think his best, best quality is just going to get the ball. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a big body guy, got big hands, strong hands. Uh, he's always kind of been that way. Uh, but he he just, uh, Michael puts it near him, he goes and gets it. You know, and they have a lot of, you know, a lot of trust between the two of them. And they've made a lot of plays together. And uh, that's going to continue. You know, anytime you have that kind of special relationship with a quarterback and receiver, that's a, I guarantee you, you know, Michael having a you know chance to come back from his injury is a big part of Ty wanting to stay. And Ty could have gone pro this past year and, and decided he felt like things he needed to work on. But I, I just think that I want to see him continue to build his, his game, you know, improve in the areas he needs to improve on, which we've already addressed with him. And he's working extremely hard. He's a really tough kid, hard, hard worker. Another one's very quiet, doesn't say much. Uh, he's even more quiet than, than Michael, but, but man, just a great, great football player. And once again, to me, there's one thing you got to be able to get open and you got to be able to catch football. If you want to be a great receiver and he does a great job of doing both of those things. And we're excited for the 2021 season for both those guys. 
Uh, on the defense side of the ball, you've done a really good job. The, 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 the culture and, and the, the program overall has done a really good job developing some of the talent in the secondary. Jamar Johnson, obviously going on to the NFL, I'd love to hear you speak to the loss of Jamar Johnson and wh what we're going to have to do or what Indiana's going to have to do to replace him. And then also two really talented defensive backs, Marcelino Ball, Tywon Mullen, among others. Speak to the success of this secondary, and then if you could, a little bit to the loss of Jamar Johnson. Well, you know, and it's amazing too. And it's a testament to our coaching staff and, and everything. Cause when I got here, we were the, the last, you know, we were ranked 127th in the country in pass defense, you know, the year before I got here. And uh, that's uh, something that our staff has really worked hard on. And uh, it's recruiting, it's scheme, it's all those different things, player development, it's in the weight room and it's getting the right guys, you know. And Marcin Ball is the first guy we recruited here, you know, the first guy I recruited here to, to come to Indiana and, and uh, just has been, and been a starter as a true freshman. And then, you know, you talk about a guy like Jamar Johnson, another kid we got from the state of Florida that came up here and really just blossomed in our program and, and did some awesome things. But his, his strength was his just the ball savviness and just the ability to read the quarterback and anticipate things. And, and I think coach, coach Jason Jones did a phenomenal job with helping him take the next step in his growth. And, and he's just a great uh, playmaker on that side of the football. And then you got Taiwan Mullen, who's come here, another Florida kid who just believes and, and, and does everything right off the field and works so hard. But, but once again, he's just got that, that just competitive greatness to him. He just rises up and loves to compete, loves to play, loves to train. And Coach Shelby's done a tremendous job with with our, all of our corners. And Jalen Williams is another one. And, and Reese Taylor, just we got three really, really talented corners. And obviously we put one of them as a the slot corner when we go into our, our nickel and dime packages. And so just really feel like that collective group in the back end has been, you know, just totally transformed Indiana football, you know, as, as we're perceived defensively. And, and then Micah McFadden is an All-American linebacker, first team All-Big Ten. And they came here that didn't have a ton going on out of high school, but another Florida kid that's is bought in and plays extremely. And all those guys have one common honor. They play super, super hard. And we talk about takeaways, tackling, and effort, but that's culture. You know, culture is, man, how hard are you willing to play for the guys around you? And mm -hmm. our guys have bought into that, and they've recognized, man, we play really hard, and we we, rushed, we we led the Big Ten in sacks last year, and it was it was a bunch of different guys. It wasn't one guy. It was it was us creating those those situations, led the country in interceptions, and and just really, really allows us to have a chance to win games when you play great defense, and that's something we do here now. That's the expectation, and I don't expect it to get better. I know Kane Womack had a huge, huge impact on that as well. The former defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Indiana, now head coach at South Alabama. He did, in my opinion, when you look at what Indiana does not defensively, a lot of disguise coverages helped you against some of the better teams, better teams in the Big Ten. What are your, you know, what are what are the next steps to replacing what Kane Womack did? And can you speak to just how much success or how much impact he had on that defense overall? Kane did a great job, and, and it's what you want to be able to do. You know, I brought Kane here. We worked together at the other places first, and. And I worked for his dad, you know, that's where I learned his defense from. And, and we have a system that we run here and, and you always kind of, you're tweaking it. And when he got here, he, he coached linebackers the first year he was here and I called it that year. And then, and then I turned it over to him in 2019 and, and we just got better, you know, 2020 was, was, was even better than 2019. And, and so just being able to continue to grow and, and just add some little wrinkles to it. And then the same thing with now with bringing Charlton Warren as, as, to the system and, and to be able to just keep enhancing it and keep uh, trying to find ways to, to, to find guys that believe in it, you know, and then can help make it better, you know, and that's what Kane did for us. And so proud of what he did here. And now just ex expecting him to do great things there as a head coach at South Alabama and, and just appreciate all he did for our program. And now Charlton's got that, that charge to be able to, to do the same. And I'm involved in every meeting. I always have been, always will be defensively sitting in almost every linebacker meeting and, and uh, Charles is now coaching the backers. And so that, that part isn't going to change, you know, and, but I, I let these guys kind of put their, 
their own personality on how they want. I don't tell them what to do. Obviously, we have a system we run here, so the system's not going to change. But but uh, just to be able to to enhance it and grow it, you know. But to me, we got to get better. You know, we, we gave up too many big plays, in my opinion. We always go back and evaluate the 2020 season, how it can be better for 2021. And and we did some great things for sure, number one defense in the country and in the red zone, you know, but we got to do a better job in between the 25s, in my opinion, you know, so on not giving up so many explosive plays. So just things like that that you're always trying to do. And and uh, we got a lot of guys back from last year. And, we, and my goal and expectation is that we're better, better defense in 2021 than we were in 2020, which is maybe saying a lot, but I, that's my expectation. I think that's a great expectation. A couple more questions for you, Coach. Really appreciate the time. Would love to talk a little bit about the opening of the season. You open up in Iowa, against Iowa at the start of the season, then at week three, University of Cincinnati, a program led by Luke Fickle that is really, talk about a program that's turned around. Luke Fickle has done a fantastic job you know, recruiting in Cincinnati and bringing that program up from the American Athletic Conference. I know a game you probably have circled on your calendar pretty fat here is Purdue. Purdue obviously getting canceled twice last season, didn't have that opportunity to go against Purdue. I know that's a huge game for the University of Indiana. Talk to me about the preparations you've made for Iowa, Cincinnati, and then also how excited are your guys to finally get ready to tee off against Purdue? Well, you know, you, you said it best there. You know, the, the big one is Iowa. You know, that's our first game of the season. You know, it's uh, uh, it's going to be the second time we've started, you know, um, a scheduled season, you know, on, on the road. Uh, you know, so with the, with the Big Ten opponent, you know, last year we were supposed to start in, in Wisconsin, and that that play, that game didn't happen till later in the year because of the pandemic, you know, but we're scheduled to go to Iowa, and uh, I've never been to Iowa City to, to play a game as a coach, you know, and so it's a tough, tough place to play. I know that for sure, and uh, they're a really, really good football team, and Coach Ferris done a phenomenal job for an awful long time, and just big, physical, consistent. Uh, play great defense. I got a ton of respect for the defensive staff as a defensive guy. And and it doesn't seem to matter who they have, you know, the players, it's always the product is always the same. And and uh, they got a great quarterback coming back, a lot of playmakers around them and a really, really talented tailback. So, you know, the and the old line play is just kind of what they're known for, you know. And so to me, it's it's tough. You know, you gotta, but you gotta play them, you know, and that's part of our schedule. We got we're, you know, probably ranked one of the top schedules most difficult schedules in the country, but that's part of it. And then you mentioned Cincinnati, you know, uh, you know, that's one of our three non-conference games and, and we already got challenging enough schedule within conference play. And then you go play a team like that. That's going to be top 10 in the country and, and are, are already right now. And, and coach Fickle, as you mentioned, done a phenomenal job recruiting, developing, watching their film already from last year, just is so impressive, you know, from top to bottom, all, all three phases, just really, really well coached. And, and so that's going to be a huge, huge test for us. And then obviously getting the big 10 play. So, you know, we don't play Purdue till the end. You mentioned them. It was obviously a huge disappointment not to get a chance to play them in 2020 because of COVID and, and both of us were having issues at that time and, and could not get that game played. So, but, but that will, that will be here. And uh, when it comes, we'll be ready. But man, right now, all focus on Iowa. Absolutely, man. Well, I really appreciate the time, Tom. You were absolutely fantastic this past season. Fantastic on the interview as well. Hope to hope our paths cross in the future and best of luck this upcoming season. Well, Austin, I sure appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Have an awesome day. Absolutely. Thanks, man. That's going to do it for this episode of Two for One Drafts. Man, episode 2100 topped off with 2018 draft grades and a coach interview with Tom Allen, who is absolutely electric. I'm excited for Tom Allen. I told him we're going to try and get out there for the Purdue game that was canceled. They canceled two Purdue games last year. It's in Indiana. It's in Bloomington. I think we make a play out to Purdue this season now that we're going to have people in people in the stands and so forth. It's going to be a ton of fun. Tom Allen, man, what a legend. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We are making power moves here on 2-4 Drafts as we march through the summer. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, 2-4-1 Drafts. Mm-hmm.